told you who I thought I was. A guy. There's no excuse for not living up to your fullest potential. No excuse. Let's do it, Black Excellence. Let's go. go, go. What's going on, Say Loud Podcast? It is your host, Boogie the Beast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in on this special episode. Not scheduled, but I told y'all I'm always about surprises. And this month of May is a very, very special one, near and dear to my heart, not only because um, it hits home to me, but I know it affects a lot of people and many people don't get to talk about this. And I have been blessed with not only one, not only two, but three people who had dedicated their lives to mental health and the family and also medicine um, and helping people out. And it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And this month uh, means a lot. I'll get into it a little bit later. But uh, without further ado, I wanted to, you know, stop talking so much and put these ladies not only on the mic, but let you guys hear how beautiful and how amazing it is to know black doctors sitting in your living room. Let me tell you. <laughs> so one at a time, if you guys can go down the list, um, just let them know who you guys are, whoever wants to start. The floor is yours. <laughs> well, hi guys, I'm Dr. Marquita Stokes. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm originally from Philadelphia um, and did my undergrad at Penn State University, but got my doctorate, my master's and my doctorate at Northwestern University in Chicago. And I specialize in adolescent and young adult um, therapy. And it's my passion to work with young, urban, at-risk youth and young adults who um, are figuring out their lives and maybe have come across some barriers and want to get to the other side of like optimizing their true potential um, and gifts. Mm. That's my passion. Come on now. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> follow through. Follow up. That's hard to come How back. do I come back? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt in fellowship coming after Q. <laughs> you should have start. <laughs> she would always she, drop something and I'd have I to come know. back. She did point at you to start. <laughs> she did. That was my slacker self. Um, my name is uh, Dr. Reynolds, but you could just call me Akila or Dr. Key. Um, I am originally from the Bay Area, but I really call myself Tricoastal, so I've lived in... Tricoastal. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> um, I've lived in New York You're? for school. That's where I got my master's at Teachers College Columbia, and then I went to Houston, where I got my PhD at the University of Houston, um, and now I'm back in California. I feel like an Angelino now. I love LA. I, too, specialize in working with young adults and adolescents. Um, I really love this concept called possible selves, basically people's thoughts about who they can be in their future. Um, that, that is one of my number one things. That's probably like the number one thing I really enjoy working with the youth that I work with is like, who do they want to be and how can we get them there? Um, but then I also, for research purposes, I really love researching the strong black woman. So, mm. yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> so basically how strength um, impacts black women uh, and how we can kind of redefine strength to include self-care and taking care of yourself. Mm. Thank you for that. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> girl, you better get these accolades up. Come on now. Yes. Come on, girl. <laughs> well, my name is Dr. Tierra Ellis. I am originally from Phoenix, Arizona. Shout out. <laughs> I went to Arizona State University for my undergrad. Um, and then I attended Howard University, um, where I got my doctorate degree in, in school psychology. Um, but I like to say I'm a school and clinical psychologist, um, special, specialized in adolescent and young adults. And I'm very, very passionate about um, 
the school to prison pipeline and uh also just like just can I say this um dismantling so dismantling the school to prison pipeline but also debunking the stigma of mental health in the black community specifically with adolescents um I focused a lot previously with young black boys and so um right now I'm actually working on a a curriculum with um, young black boys and black girls in um, South Central LA. So I'm excited about that and mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to work on that right now and probably with, uh, probably until the end of this year. And so I'm mm. excited about that. Come on now. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That yeah. lineup, that right there. Um, this is 30. This all came out of one office, by the way. One yeah. office. Shout yeah. out to that. So a little background. So Dr. Tierra, being from Phoenix, um, I never knew her when she was in Phoenix. Fun <laughs> fact. And then she gets to LA. We're at a run uh, event. Shout out to Butter, putting on Keep It 100. Yes. And we connected because she was wearing an ASU hoodie. And then months later, we hung out twice. And I was like, I want you on the podcast. She texted me and was like, I found you two other doctors. <laughs> and I, and here we are right now to this day. And I can't honestly stress it more than enough, not only just to have one person, but for that to grow into three. Mm-hmm. And also, like you said, be all in the same focus, but still have so many micro directions and, you know, like emphasis and loves. So the question that I wanted to start out with, what... Or how did you find your passion for this? Like, how did you know? Yeah. Not the doctor, but like, how did you know? Like, you know what? Like, I wanted to study the strong black women. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to work with adolescents and youth and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the school to prison pipeline. Like, I got to. Whoever wants to start, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think T got it. <laughs> Go ahead, Doc. <laughs> and that's cool. I can just say Doc for the rest of this. <laughs> Somebody gonna answer. Wow. That's weird. So- it started when I was a junior in high school, actually. Mm-hmm. My mom was a juvenile detention officer. Mm-hmm. And um, she would come home and tell me stories about these youth. And I used to always say, like, I want to help these youth. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was also taking an AP psychology course. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, you know what? I feel like God telling me that I should major in psychology. Mm-hmm. And that's when I majored in psychology in undergrad. And ever since then, I felt like, um, God just kept telling me and showing me more and more of my purpose. And yeah. so that is really how it started with my mom being in the um, detention center and just telling me about those kids and me wanting to help those kids based off the story she used to tell me. So, yeah. I appreciate what you say about, like, purpose and about God because I, I wouldn't have necessarily consciously chose this, but I feel like it kind of just chose me. Yeah. Um, I had a thought about fleeting thought as a kid like oh maybe I'll be a psychologist and I was like nah like that's too much school like I don't want to do all that what else mm-hmm. did you have a fleeting thought about <laughs> 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 Mark, you know, my imagination <laughs> so, who did you want to be when you were born I was to be a singer but like I can't sing or so people tell me so I had to like try something else um, we got technology thanks. for everything don't worry yeah. I'm working on that career too though. there you go so but basically um, when I got to college College, honestly, I, I wanted to major in business, but I didn't want to take the math classes. So I was like, what do you major in psychology? Mm. And so I took the course, the first course, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I like it. And I kept taking courses, and then I was doing internship in business and hospital administration. And it was cool, um, like, being up there. But I felt like I wanted to actually touch people, like, 
deliver care um, personally. And also, I just, I kind of looked around my family, myself, uh, my community, and I felt like there were all these needs. Um, and people were struggling, but nobody was really saying anything. Um, and so honestly, I think a part of it was kind of like self-healing, like there's something going on for me and I want to pursue this and I started taking more classes and it kind of just clicked. Um, and then I wanted to take that back to my family and my community so that we can all kind of do better, mm-hmm. feel better, get better. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, I wholeheartedly agree with, uh, Dr. Kila about how when you get to this point, you feel like you didn't choose it, but it chose you. Yes. Like, it's kind of hard. And we, you know, with the amount of school we've been through, we have to kind of reiterate <laughs> so many different times why we oh want to be gosh. in this program or why we want to do what we do. It's just asked in so many different ways. So, you know, I've had a ton of time to kind of reflect on this. And because um, I really didn't know why, like how I got led into this. But it, it was during high school and... Um, I was, so, I was kind of, like, really good at all subjects, right? Like, Must be nice. Yes, I was, like, really good at math, or I was like, I don't want to be a mathematician, yeah. and I'm just, like, oh. good at it. I'm, you know, good in social studies, blah, 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 blah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, until I took an AP English class, and we were, like, diving heavy into Shakespeare. And, um, and like reading like all the tragedies and like all my classmates are like, this is stupid. Like, you know, stumbling over the old English and me, I just like saw them as these, um, like puzzles of human nature and, Mm. and particularly in the tragedy, just like watching these people kind of, uh, like trip stumble into these like shenanigans um on the page and like one of my favorite plays is Othello and interesting that we're talking about like black mental health because it's it's a really good one it's this you know more which is just another word for like a northern African man who um was respected for his his military prowess but also you know his white best friend was like you know like talking lies into his ear and you know got in between him and his his woman, and um, at any rate, I used to just, like, daydream and imagine, like, all right, I can't change these stories on the page, but, like, what about in real life? Like, who, who's the person, what's the thing, what's the intervention mm-hmm. that can come in and change this tragedy into a triumph? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started thinking about that and thinking about what I wanted to do mm-hmm. with my life and kind of landed upon, like, psychology, and in particular, like, clinical psychology and being um, a therapist and helping people directly. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. That reminded me, like, so when I, one more thing, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> so when I had um, majored in psychology, so going back to my mom, I was like, okay, psychology is it. And so what I ended up doing while I was at ASU mm-hmm. was um, adding adding degrees. And um, so I, <laughs> I added another degree. So I got African, I majored in African, African American mm-hmm. studies. To learn more about myself and just like where do I come from like yeah. you know you don't learn about mm-hmm. where you come from and in in school or just you know so it was just like as I learned so much about the basic things of the basic historical facts of what black people have been through and all of that yeah. that um coupled with psychology is, is really how it just all came together um I minored in, in dance and that's just how I stay sane but like that is really like that actual that extra like um degree really brought me to like where I was like okay I, I want to help all people but I also I, I definitely need to start with mine you know so um 
So yeah, that reminded me of that. Awesome. I think the the biggest thing that all three of you that, or excuse me, all three of you touched on, um, biggest words that stuck out was family, uh, the community, and, you know, uh, unselfishness. Um, Every one of you was, you know, willing to not only sacrifice the years of time in school, um, but look past what you wanted to do because, you know, it was unselfish to help others. Um, So the question I wanted to ask to go off of that is, you know, when it, when it was, now that you're in the profession um, and, you know, you're, you're past the hardest parts and all that stuff, when you look back now, like, now obviously it was worth it, but like, how does it, how does it feel, how does it feel like being on the other side now? Like, and I would say the other side of what you pushed and worked and, you know, blood, sweat and tears for now to be on the other side and to kind of have the knowledge, like now that you're in the field, um, do you guys feel like you're your words are, are being heard or is it still a, a strong battle and a strong fight mm-hmm. for your platform to be raised? Speaking on psychology, clinical psychology, mm-hmm. getting in these curriculums, helping out these pipelines with different uh, community centers and events and stuff. Right. I think that's a really great question. Yeah. For me, on the other side, it's like unbelievable first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Like I can't believe, mm-hmm. like I have no idea how I did this, which is why I know it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, because I just couldn't have done it off my own strength. Um, And I feel like the hardest part now on this side is that we've had all this training and it's it's very good training um, and a lot of good knowledge, but it's more about now how do I apply it and how do I apply it in a creative way to reach the people that I want to reach in a way that's going to reach them, which is why I think being like a podcast that you have, like I want to reach people. So I see myself more as like a community psychologist, but I'm in a hospital right now and it's trying to figure out how... Um, how do I take this information? How do I take the desire to help people um, and package it in a way that people care about, want to hear, that reaches them, that touches them, that it makes actual impact on their lives? And for me, it's not just like the 50-minute therapy session. So it's about being creative and getting out there. And so that's kind of the stage that I'm at right now. I, um, I, I feel like it's a great time to be a psychologist. I think there is still a lot of stigma around mental health, whether we're talking about specifically in the black community or just in general. Mm -hmm. But then I also think we're particularly in an age where um, a lot of stigmatized areas are getting a lot more attention and a lot more promotion and mental health is one of those and a lot of different areas that um, uh, didn't utilize it before, whether that be um, in our communities, in schools, mm-hmm. in uh, professional athletics, it's been a big thing recently. Um, and so I, I feel like it's, again, like a, a blessing in God's timing that I'm on this other side of yeah. all this training at a point where it's kind of, it's, it's booming. Um, and Akila spoke about being, being a community psychologist in a hospital. I'm kind of navigating, coming from a hospital and a lot of hospital-based training to being out in the community and starting um, my own private practice. Um, it's called Whole and Well Psychological Services. Shameless plug. Come on now, plug. Uh, <laughs> hey, come on now. Get these plugs out. We got more than enough time at the end of that. Y'all are not leaving without people knowing how to contact you. But, but yeah, so I, I think, and I'll, I'll say this about the gaining your doctorate, your terminal degree, that you have 
this freedom on this side of it, um, being an expert in your field to do whatever it is that you want. And I think yeah. I had to like, you know, get over that mental barrier of not knowing the path that, um, you know, was like laid aside for me or that people may have wanted me to go into, but really like identifying what, um, what is it that I want to do? And, but that's just not, I've also learned that that's just not with school too. Like whatever you want to do, whether it takes an immense amount of hours of training in school or mm-hmm. an immense amount of hours of an apprenticeship or a mentor, or just mm-hmm. kind of doing your own thing, like do it yourself. Um, there's always going to be a need for, for perseverance and putting in the work and the time and studying. And so whatever it is that you want to do, I'm just here to say on the other side, it's that much better. Hmm. Thank yeah. you. I would definitely say that, um, what I'm like, like both of them said, so I'm going to kind of echo what they're saying, but it has, it has definitely been, um, it worked for my benefit for the simple fact people see like, Oh, this is a doctor or, um, see those um, letters behind my name. And and I think it opens more opportunity, um, even just to walk, like just to collaborate with other organizations. Um, however, I'm one of those people that like, I feel like if it's my purpose and this is mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing, it's going to happen, regardless if I have these letters behind my mm-hmm. name or not. So, you know, I, I do feel like it has helped me a lot. Um, but I feel like, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry, God is just, that's all that's the time. <laughs> but I feel that he need like for where he's trying to get me, I needed to get the degree, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like I'm I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Even like with um, what I'm doing right now, I knew I know that having a doctorate degree definitely helped me get in those doors mm-hmm. and, and get that um, collaboration. The seat at the work. table. Yeah. Shout out to Solange. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do know that it's God that's actually like guiding me and, and I'm following him. So, um, so yeah, so I feel like regardless, it's gonna work out, you know. So. Yeah. Awesome. All right, I want to deep dive into it. I want to talk <laughs> yeah. about the black community. Yeah. Um, I wanted this to be pretty much the meat and potatoes, and then we'll kind of get into a more of a focus. But okay. um, this is the main reason why I wanted to not only sit down with Dr. Tierra at first, but now <laughs> my other two docs. I have doctors. <laughs> So like I said, your, answer, your questions will be answered. I promise. This is amazing. Like I'm, I'm still overblown. I promise. But um, the black community, when it comes to um, the, you know, not only just statistics and stuff like that, but where do you, where do you guys see us right now compared to what it used to be and where we could be? I know that's a lot. I know that's deep. Sorry, but you know, like I, I guess when you say the stigmas and like what we primarily deal with. Even in your guys' focuses of each, because I think you guys all, like you said, have your own details. So, like, where do you see the black woman in the black community? What is what is she what is she struggling with right now? What is she dealing with? Um, You know, kind of the the school to prison pipeline, like you were saying. Like, what are we dealing with with that? And then also with adolescents and going into a private, going into the communities. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we deal with a lot of stereotypes. We're we don't like to come talk to dogs. Yeah. Black people don't talk to dogs. We mm-hmm. take a nap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, hey, sometimes too. a nap is what you need. That is true. <laughs> you heard it first. You heard it first. Um, but kind of just, you know, just touch on that. Like, where where do you guys see it now? Like, with the research, being black, um, being in the hospitals, being out in the, in the community, in the streets, yeah. you know, and also having each other. Like, mm-hmm. where do we stand right now? Not everybody's got an answer, but, you know. <laughs> Okay. I guess I can start with stats, though. Um, 
So just to just to give you some numbers. Come on now. <laughs> so 13.2% of the US population identifies as black or African African American. And of those, over 16% has a diagnosable mental illness in the past year alone. And that is over 6.8 million people and more people than the populations of Chicago, Houston, and Philly combined. Mm. So just to kind of start y'all off with some numbers and just to really like let that marinate of how um, prevalent or how real of a situation this is to ask a question with that what um what are considered diagnoses like what what's a list can you give a list of what those would be sure i mean is it depression schizophrenia bipolar ptsd um we so what we go off of is called the diagnostical statistic manual (laughs) sorry y'all got braces DSM. DSM. Um, DSM. Yeah, and the last version is five, and so there's a host of um, disorders in there, and um, I mean it goes all the way. It starts from sexual disorders all the way to like some, you know, anxiety, depression, behavioral. There's different um, categories. However, um, yeah, and more being added. Dave, I did. I Dave, just came I across an article about how burnout is. Like I, saw burnout burnout. Is burnout. Yeah. I saw that yesterday. Burnout is burnout disorder. I saw that yesterday. The ICD, which is the, the yeah. international yeah. version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Damn, there's a lot. No, no, yeah. I didn't add to it. No. no. Wow. I think the I think one thing to think about is that like we have these disorders that I think span across like all people. Yeah. Not anyone can get depression For or anxiety, sure. have PTSD, but then we have. Um, I think certain social and political and historical yeah. factors that impact the black community yeah. um, and particularly black people living in this country. Yeah. Um, and if we think about trauma and the impact of like intergenerational trauma and how trauma. Intergenerational um, trauma. Yeah. 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 So you can carry trauma without actually go. Can you break like I could carry drop trauma from like my great grandfather sure. without not like without knowing it just passed through the yeah. genetics without yeah. having experienced that particular trauma yes. you could be impacted by that trauma yes in multiple ways so i think and i don't know all the like genetic research and all right, that stuff, right. but i think there yeah. might be research that says that's coming out that says that that might be a factor mm-hmm. but also if you think about just how trauma impacts a particular person mm-hmm. how it impacts you and how you respond to it how you behave mm-hmm. um that's going to impact how you rear your children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's going to impact how they rear their children. Gotcha. So I yeah. think like the impact of trauma is very, I don't think we've truly thought about just how big that is. Yeah. And that we don't always see it as trauma either. Right. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything to add or not? I was just going to add to your question about intergenerational trauma. Um, there definitely is a, a genetic component, but it's also just like sociopolitical, right? Like, the ideas of the things that are traumatizing black people, whether we're talking about um, slavery or oppression or violence yeah. or um, or anything like that, that the the personal and the societal kind of recall of that has effects for um, generations to come, and they have mm-hmm. they bear fruit, right? They grow into kind of different, bigger issues that are compounded that leave you know 
scholars and researchers to like explain <laughs> yeah. what exactly is going on and build maps and in- infographics. So, um, so yeah, there's not just like a genetic, but there's a familial component and then like a societal cultural component yeah. too. And I guess to add to that, the familiar familial component, like um, I was talking with my students today about how your parent can have like a mental illness and then they are just rearing like they're they're um, raising you how their parent raised them Mm -hmm. and they're just like not realizing that their parent may have had a mental illness Mm -hmm. and it's just like you know it's just like this generational thing and you think well my mom did it to me Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it to you Mm -hmm. but your mom also probably should have got help because your mom is doing stuff to you that Mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't have experienced you know Mm -hmm. and that's gonna affect you that's traumatizing. You know, some of those things are traumatizing, but it's been um, normalized some t- in in some in ways. You know, right. and so yeah. So I know that that was something. That is something that I see as a big issue for sure. Um, when speaking about even the school systems um, mm-hmm. and and kind of talking about, you know, we we in America we go through a very European American yeah. uh, curriculum learning different things. Um, when you go to public schools in the inner city, you're not taught certain things. Um, and then, you know, you kind of got going off with basically what your emphasis is with the school to prison pipeline, very, however long you wanted to go into it, but very like uh, cleft note, what exactly is that pipeline for people who don't under, they see it, it, but they don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it means. That's why I'm asking. Okay. No, it's okay. (laughs) So the school to prison pipeline pretty much is like, um, you, and it's, it's a disproportionate rate of black youth who are in that track. Mm-hmm. And I got corrected today. Um, I should probably call it the jail to prison track. One of my students actually corrected me. Um, and so what it is, and I guess that's a, le- a less stigmatizing way to, to say it. But, um, the thing is, is that I see it as like, so there's like about 86% of white teachers in America. And um, there is, and with this disproportionate rate, right, I believe, and based off my research I've done, there's this cultural barrier that exists between black students and white teachers. So how I'm talking right now on my hands, using its motive expression. And, you know, some black girls talk with their neck and it could be a physical threat. And then we have these zero, zero um, tolerance. tolerance. Yeah. So it's like regardless of what you say or what you do, um, teachers may perceive you being a physical threat or mm-hmm. threatening them. And once, so going back to the school, to jail to, jail to prison track, mm-hmm. once you are, or yeah, once you are in the system or kicked out, suspended, expelled, mm-hmm. you're more than likely mm-hmm. to um, be incarcerated at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's like when kids are kicked out and they're on the streets and they're not in school, mm-hmm. they're more than likely to get into things that they sh- they should not be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So it just gives them more opportunity to harm themselves and to get in the system. Mm-hmm. So pretty much that's what it is, is that it starts in the school where they get kicked out. And um, when they're kicked out and suspended, that's when they're like doing things they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And likely to get incarcerated mm-hmm. at some point. Hmm. And my graduate research was actually on juvenile detainees in Cook County, um, called the Northwestern Juvenile Project. And so where, I just wanted where's to Cook add, County? 
Chicago. Okay, Chicago. So I just wanted to add on to what uh, Tiara said. Once you are kind of identified as a youth as being, um, you know, expelled or kicked out of school and experience mm-hmm. any sort of incarceration or diversion, you are now on um, police's radar. You are now oh, yeah. this, like in the system. And um, those youth tend to be highly recidivistic, as in mm-hmm. they kind of traffic in and out of recidivists. In and out of the system, the criminal justice yeah. system. Um, they're, they're tagged, so to speak. Mm. Um, and we already know that people in decision making um, positions already have like a bias to yeah. uh, brown skin minority folk and yeah. so it's just the added um an added barrier so it really yeah. it can be like a life sentence without even being put away for, for mm. life yeah the recidivism i think she explained it but it's just when you um go into the system you're more than likely it's a high percentage of you to mm-hmm. enter it again mm-hmm. even if you were to get out and so yeah mm. very high rate and uh, to go off yours, Dr. Reynolds. Yes. <laughs> I'm going off. I'm going off the doctors. I know Dr. you said your fine. first name. Now, to go off of what they were talking about, um, you talked about one of your emphasis earlier with uh, point pow or the emphasis that you possible have. Possible cells. Possible cells. Yeah. Can you talk about what possible cells kind of is? Yeah. Okay. Um, so possible cells is just some fancy name for people's thoughts or images about who they can be in their future. Mm. And basically, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, just said you did it. I did it with a client yesterday. It was so exciting. Oh, I got Because she was, she came in and she was just like. Every area in her life was she was failing, failing. Mm-hmm. She's a failure here, failure there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? In this therapy session, she's not gonna be a failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go back to your way. No, I love it. But yeah. yeah. And what I love about it is it spans across multiple domains. Meaning, it's not just who you can be like in your career, because I know that's what we often mm-hmm. think about, but who you can be educationally, who you can be like in terms of your lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, in terms of your relational statuses. So, um, you know, I see myself as a singer or I see myself as a world traveler or I see myself as a good friend or a um, a loving wife these are Mm -hmm. all things that um, you see for yourself and if you see them for yourselves and you also think about ways that you can get there so you have the strategies or the steps in place to become whatever that possible self is um, and problem solving skills and resources to get there um, that could be truly helpful and so basically um, you know, there are different types of interventions and programs and things like that that have used possible cells um, as an intervention to help youth. And Dr. Stokes and I worked on a, <laughs> we worked on a project. Um, well, we didn't actually deliver the intervention, but we looked at research related to it. Um, and it's been used with youth who, um, mothers who are, teen mothers who are pregnant. What's the type of proper term for that? Uh, aim for teen moms. Yeah, the intervention was called adult, adult identity mentoring, and it was all based on this theory of possible selves. And the idea is that a lot of times, um, and it was a largely Latina um, youth population of, of teen mo- mothers, and, and a lot of times when you get pregnant in our Black and Latina communities at such a young age, the idea is like you don't have a future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, your plans for school or your career or even personally are like in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this intervention was really seeking to identify 
motherhood as a strength and and yeah. also you know like the qualities of being a mother and now what's your plan but also what else do you want to be and don't cut off that that aspect of your future because if you can't see where you're going how are you going to get there right yeah. um, so reinforcement so, of, of yeah. the confidence like inner like inner confidence absolutely yeah. absolutely so yeah. across different populations whether it's been in middle schools high schools mm-hmm. college yeah. um teen moms uh youth who are experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. we've seen that it's had positive impact on their well-being yeah. i think in one study it was depression another study it was academic grades yeah. it was um I think their connection to the school. So we're seeing positive impacts on multiple areas of their lives. Right. And, and just with depression, when they have like hope, um, what is it? Hopelessness. Yeah. And so um, when you see a future for yourself and it's like, okay, I guess I have, because most of the time they're like, I don't have anything to live for. Like what, you know? And so it's just like when you actually see on paper or see like as they are going through like their future and just writing like, with my family, my academics, or this is how I want this or that, it's prov- it's giving them more hope for the future. I saw that yesterday. It was beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I'm proud of that so oh true. I think in terms of mental health, people like depression or think about like suicidality, like mm-hmm. hope and hopelessness, mm-hmm. like yeah. those, like that's super important. And yeah. So like hopelessness is a really strong yeah. risk factor mm-hmm. for these things. So yeah. if you can instill hope in someone, like your money, you're good. You are tuned into the Say It Loud podcast. Say it loud. Say it loud. It's funny. It's deep. Say it loud. And you're going to leave more wise than you were when you got there. There. And we are back, Say Loud Podcast. Once again, it is your host, Boogie the Beast. It is Mental Health Awareness. I am sitting down. Let me see if I can do this right. Dr. Stokes, Dr. Reynolds, and Dr. Ellis talking about mental health, um, not only in the community, but, uh, you know, just ways to deal with it, um, stigmas, stereotypes, and examples. And with that, we are going to get into what I love the most, all your guys' answers. So first and foremost, like I told you guys, no names will be used. All names were erased um, and won't be used for this. I appreciate you guys going out on a limb and trusting me with your questions um, because, like I said, once again, we have a stigma of we don't like to get help, and this is why I'm bringing um, three doctors to the platform, not only just doctors but people with insight, people with knowledge, and people who are just like you to answer these questions. Um, they just have you know, a lot more information on it to help us out. So without further ado... My biggest question, I guess I want to start out with the second part is, in stereotypical questioning, why are black people scared to go get help? Whoever wants to start with that. Dr. Stokes had some good oh. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I, I, think, I think this is such like a layered, complicated question to, to answer because I'm sure there's like individual variability as, with regards to why people do or don't go seek therapy but I think there are some general cultural norms that, that bring to bear um, on why it's largely stigmatized in our community um, and I think the main reason is just from a historical socio-cultural perspective I think black people are um, untrusting of major institutions in our society, one of them being um, medicine and the hospital and mental health. And, uh, and, and that is for good and valid reasons. There have been a lot of um, indiscretions and discrimination and, and really just crimes uh, committed against, against black people. Whenever you have positions of, of power uh, and vulnerable people, it just leaves them 
open to being kind of taken advantage of. And so I think even if people haven't experienced that directly, mm. um, we it's a part of the the tapestry and the fabric of who we are mm. uh, as a black as a black um, community. And so so I think like just general mistrust. Um, mm. I think uh, I think the idea. I think what black people hear when they hear mental health or you have a mental illness is um, you're weak or there's something wrong with you. You're like defective um, or you're evil. Um, you know, I, I know there's like a lot of like overlaps, but I know like like spirituality is a big component, too, that that mental illness is like identified with. Um, you know, being off spiritually or being demon possessed or what have you, and and hence the solution has for a long time been to to pray it away or um, you know or to have somebody you know lay hands on you. And I, I think I think there's a place for that. I think I think there's a place for all different aspects of of health, right? Physical health, spiritual health, mental health, emotional health. But when we're talking about specifically like mental health, the the where your mind and emotional state is is at and the quality of it, um, you know, I think I think those are a couple of reasons. There's just a mistrust mm-hmm. of the institution behind it. And also people are hearing messages that are disparaging against them and, and for reasons that are not really their fault. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know, right. like somebody's trying to tell you how bad you are, but it's not even um, you know, because of you. And so I think we need to start hearing a different message. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think historically being black is a stigma. Yeah. And so with that, it's like, you know, and I, I think honestly that continued, like that carries on until today, like mm-hmm. it, whether it be covert or overt mm-hmm. um, racism that you experience, but just being black in America is a stigma. Yeah. And so, or it has been, and well, has been and continues to be. And I think that just the addition of another like label or, 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 um, being labeled as um, something like um, Dr. Stokes said, like uh, as as weak or a, de- a defect or something of that nature, um, well, it just continues to like perpetuate um, those um, ideas of you being um, less considered less than, and so mm-hmm. than the um, mainstream society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. I think a big part of what I hear you saying is like this idea of fear. Like yeah. it's scary when something you feel like something isn't right with you, but you yeah. really don't know necessarily what it is, or maybe you do know, um, and you're scared to kind of take that step to go figure out what it is. You're scared about what they're going to say it is about what this label means. If I have anxiety, if I have yeah. depression or PTSD, like bam, like what does that mean and how will other people perceive me? Can I get rid of this? Can I manage this? I think the other piece is like accessibility. Where mm-hmm. do people even go to get treatment? And where do they go to get treatment that is culturally, yeah. um, that connects to their culture mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. that they can trust? Since they are, there's, just, there's this idea of cultural mistrust, which to some degree is pretty healthy. Like yeah. you yes. would, um, it's healthy to be mistrusting of systems in America if you are a black person, because yes. historically speaking and currently, um, they haven't been good to you. So yeah. that's normal. Um, how do you access uh, mental health services that um, are reliable, trustworthy, that can help you, and that also where you have people that look like you and understand your experience mm-hmm. and can provide you with treatment that um, takes into account all of who you are, not just anxiety, yeah. but like what does anxiety look like for you as a black person, yeah. as a black woman, yeah. um, as a trans person, um, all these different 
social identities, mm -hmm. they all impact how you present. And so yeah. I think we have to get um, these messages out to people. We also have to offer them services that are relevant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very nice. I appreciate that. Um, so to go off of that, now let's go into a little bit more. I wanted to deep dive into, once we talked about earlier, a few examples of what you could be diagnosed with. And so I had each of them select one of the things you could be diagnosed with that you could be dealing with yourself um, or the ways that you can help uh, recognize or identify without diagnosing a friend, unless you are, <laughs> you have that, uh, that status to do so, but you know, to be able to help them out and understand what they're going through. So whoever wants to lead out, you know what I'm saying? This reminds me of when I first started taking these classes. If you hear about all the symptoms, you're like, oh yeah. my God, I think I, I think have it. WebMD? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I cut my finger, I'm going to die. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, you what? start to notice you have to like, like five seconds to live. Why are we always in the child's head? If you're reading this, I hope your will's written like, Jesus. Get out of my head. Keep it. 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 So, um, sorry, we be having a problem. You're good. This is a family thing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just laughing with her in the office. Um, I guess I'll do one that I know very well, which is anxiety. Mm. Um... So, symptom, like, how do you know that, well, not how do you know, what are some things that you could be mindful of that you mm -hmm. might consider to be signs of anxiety? I would say, um, like, worry, constantly worrying about a lot of different things, mm -hmm. um, or particularly worrying about certain things or being afraid of certain things, um, being afraid around people, being worried about, like, what you say, how you'll be mm -hmm. um, perceived about judgment being criticized. I think there's a, a, a physical component to this as well. So mm -hmm. being restless, um, feeling kind of tense, mm -hmm. um, being a little bit um, kind of uh, nauseous sometimes. People have physical symptoms, somatic symptoms, mm -hmm. um, irritable even. Sometimes um, people are irritable because they're anxious. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. your, heart rate, your heart rate is up, being uh, a lot of breathing, sleep problems. Sometimes people can't sleep in the middle of the night. They're waking up because they're really anxious about what's going on. And just really being thoughtful about what your thoughts are telling you. Mm -hmm. Anxious thoughts kind of just go in your, in your mind mm -hmm. over and over and over again about the worst case scenario. Whatever happens, you're going to like, Oh my what gosh. If, what if, what yeah, if. like, and this thing is going to happen and it's going to be the worst I've ever had it and I'm never going to be able to get over it. I'm never going to be able to deal with it. Um, so if you kind of are dealing with some of those things, you might consider that you might have anxiety or you might feel anxious at the time. What are some of the ways that you can cope with those? Uh, I'm always going to be pro non-medication. Sure. So what are the, some of the ways that you could self help or what are some of the ways oh yeah start with sorry can you start with some of the ways that you can self-help yourself mm -hmm. um and then also um ways that you can help somebody else so basically mm -hmm. direct and then indirectly mm -hmm. i like to think of it like as a mind body and even spiritual connection all of these parts of us are really connected mm -hmm. and i think balance is really key um so Number one, if you think about physically, when you're feeling anxious, like there's a part of your body that's just really revved up. So you mm -hmm. kind of got to let your body settle down. Breathing is like your best friend. It's mm -hmm. something that you take with you wherever you go. And you can always access that as a way to um, calm you down. So taking deep breaths, taking real control over that and really slowing down your breathing, 
slowing down your rhythm, mm-hmm. that is a way that you can help um, kind of manage anxiety in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, taking care of yourself. Like people kind of slip on the fact that taking a shower, brushing your teeth, <laughs> eating food, getting sleep, taking walks, like all of those things we kind of take for granted, but they're mm-hmm. all things that we need to kind of help us. And that's a pretty easy way to deal with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, what you eat. I'm not the best at that, so I, I feel bad for talking about it. But the kind of foods that you eat. Lemon pepper wet is anything to help out with anxiety. It's okay. Um, and then I think the big part is challenging your thoughts. Um, your thoughts can like be a disaster. Um, so what I often do when I'm experiencing, well, probably not when I'm experiencing anxiety, but when, if I'm helping a friend experience anxiety, um, me and my friend, we are like anxiety monsters. So we're talking to each other back and forth, like, oh my God, this thing happened and like, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so really thinking about like, what is the thing that you're anxious about? Um, how, like, what's the probability that it really might happen? Like, really, like, thinking about it, like, what's the statistic, statistic behind it? Like, is it a 90% chance that this thing might happen, or is it really only a 20% chance? Mm-hmm. 90% versus 20% is completely different. Facts. And if that thing were to actually happen, what's the odd that you're really not going to be able to deal with it? What's the odd that if the worst-case scenario that, like, you really, you're going to fall apart most likely you're probably not going to fall apart. Um, and if you do for the moment, like there are ways to manage it. There are ways to deal with it. There are ways to cope. So getting your coping skills together is something that can be really, really helpful. What can you do in that moment to help you feel better? And that's going to be different for every person. For me, walking is good. If I feel anxious, I'm going to take a walk. I might read. Um, sometimes talking about it. Um, so telling your friend or your um your therapist, if you have one, going to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Those are all ways to manage anxiety. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Um, who wants to go next? Um, I can go next and talk about depression. And I think it's really good that anxiety and depression go back to back because they're kind of the most common presentations that you know a therapist will kind of see um, when people come come through our doors. Um, and something Dr. Reynolds talked about is like. This is like a inner therapist distinction between anxiety and depression, but I think it's a good tidbit for people to understand that when you have anxiety, typically like it's a dysfunction of mood or thoughts that are based on the future. It's about something that hasn't happened yet. And um, Dr. Ellis is going to talk about like trauma, like maybe an anxiety, a different kind of anxiety that happens uh, post something um, that has happened or something you experienced or vicariously experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then depression is typically thought of as a, as a dysfunction of mood or thoughts um, based on something that's happened in the past. Um, and so, but they're very similar and they often like co-occur. Um, and anxiety can be a part of depression and depression or depressed mood can be a part of anxiety. So it's very important to know that the, like everything that we talk about can be co-occurring, happening at the same time, influencing each other, making things worse, um, making things better. I don't know. Um, but depression, um, there are so, there's so many signs to, to depression. And I do want to say that like a lot of people kind of express it in a very individual sense. I guess that goes for all, uh, all disorders um but i do want to say this when we're talking about being like clinically depressed it's more than just like a sad mood 
right? Like, there's a normal component to all things that are considered mental illness. There's a normal level of anxious feelings. Like, actually, like, anxiety is good, right? Like, it's it's good if, you know, um, you're walking and a bear is walking next to you down the street and you, you're like, what the hell? Like, you, like, book it the other way. Like, that's good. Like, that's that's fine, like that's, that's, <laughs> that's, like, self-preservation, right? Um <laughs> And then, you know, emotions just aren't bad. So there are times that you're going to feel sad or you're grieving or something, and it's totally normal. And so I, I know, like, as mental illness hits, like, more mainstream, like, people use these terms a lot, like, I'm depressed or um, I'm anxious. And it may, it may just be that you're just going through a period of very normal um, sadness. When we're talking about depression, we're talking about, like, a confluence of symptoms that is attacking your mood, your cognitive abilities, your body, um, eating, habits. eating habits, right? So just to kind of run through, yes, you're going to have like for more days than not this like low, sad, depressed mood, um, or just this general kind of discontentment. One hallmark of depression is a hopelessness, um, about the future or guilt, um, that's maybe valid or, or, or not, not valid or not substantiated, but you feel it. Um, a loss of interest in things and the things that's key about that is a loss of interest in things that previously interested you before this depressive episode so Mm -hmm. you used to like playing video games and now you don't you um you know used to like spending time with your your girlfriend your boyfriend um and now it's just for no reason of their own (laughs) (laughs) because i saw your face (laughs) they didn't do anything necessarily but you're just you know you're not feeling it you're you don't want to talk to anybody maybe you're isolating that's another uh Mm -hmm. symptom isolation um affecting sleep and that's like any disturbance of sleep having trouble falling asleep having trouble staying asleep waking up too early um or having disturbances during sleep like nightmares or what have you um just your body feeling more lethargic um or more restless or just fatigue loss of appetite or excessive eating a lot of people are emotional eaters when they're feeling down when they're feeling anxious when they've gone through some sort of trauma they're overeating um it affects your brain, your cognitive abilities, right? Just not being able to concentrate, um, feeling like you can't think straight, or just feeling slow. Um, yeah, so it's kind of it's it's really it can be really debilitating, um, and because it's it's kind of attacking your mood, attacking your your thought. I remember counseling somebody one time who was they were trying to tell me they didn't want to. Well, I was just telling them, like, they were they were clearly depressed, and they were telling me what they didn't feel like doing or what they didn't think was a good idea, and I was like, man, um, that's like your depressive brain talking, right? And she was, like, talking to me to, like, get help, and so it's like, at some point, we kind of have to, like, weigh less what you're telling yourself in this kind of mood state versus, um, you know, if you were feeling totally fine, it being, like, more valid, you know what I mean? It just makes you, like not trust what your mind and what your body is telling you kind of the force um a different way so yeah it's uh yeah wow depression sucks but um it it can totally be overcome actually yeah, it has like one of the higher rates of uh like remission and treat if you treat it and if you address it and don't try to avoid it or mm. um, suppress it, um, you can definitely get better. So I gotta listen to take care less at night, yeah. basically. <laughs> I got it. Okay, sounds good. 
<laughs> and last but not least, going into <laughs> trauma. Yeah, trauma is really packed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I'm going to echo a lot. And just to kind of say what, uh, or add to what Dr. Stokes and Reynolds said. We don't refer to each other as doctors. I know. So, so it's like, I'm going to every doctor's like, what's your right name? Right. Okay. Y'all, like, can, y'all can use first name. I'm going to put some respect <laughs> on it. <laughs> we appreciate you. Absolutely. <laughs> but, My mom would um, hear this and beat me up. You better not call him by their first name. <laughs> <laughs> but you will probably notice a theme or just notice how a lot of them overlap. And that's where, and even just going back to your, and I'm sorry, I'm going to probably get off a little bit. I'm going to get back to trauma, I promise. But that's where a lot of black people actually get misdiagnosed because of that. And and this is actually a good segue into trauma because trauma can look like a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Trauma can, um, you, somebody may be hypervigilant and, Somebody with um, anxiety may also be hypervigilant, and and sometimes they do co-occur, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or even just with depression, just mm-hmm. um, like uh, irritable and, mm-hmm. and having just like um, restlessness. Yep. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So some of these symptoms do like um, they are they 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 co-occur. Like some of these symptoms, some of these. Um, Disorders share the same symptoms, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so pretty much trauma, is it could be something, an experience or an event that you witnessed directly yourself or someone else close to you or just, it doesn't even have to be someone close to you. It can even be, I remember, I felt when I was seeing on, on TV just with the Mike Brown situation, like mm-hmm. that, was, that was traumatized and just knowing like, what is happening in the black community right now and just how police are really looking at us, um, especially black young men and just the safety for them. Mm-hmm. And so that was, it, it was, it kind of like made me think about my uncle and my father and just, it was, it was like that indirect type of experience of even though <laughs> I'm looking at it on TV, mm-hmm. you can still um, experience like, or feel like that's, that's traumatizing for me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that, uh, it could be whether somebody has been, um, experienced domestic violence and, um, yeah. And so some of those symptoms may look like, um, shock denial. Some people may actually, um, get flashbacks, dreams or nightmares, mm-hmm. I'd say, um, like I said, hypervigilance is one that I notice a lot, especially in, in, um, I mean in general, but. I see it a lot in um, in in black kids in general. Just and so with that, um, you can also have complex trauma. And complex trauma is when you have like multiple traumas. So for instance, and this is very typical in the black community too. And I know I keep talking about just black community this, black community that, but I see it a lot because it's like you witness someone pass away or someone get shot, and then you may have experienced trauma yourself going back to the school to prison pipeline or school to jail whatever my student said mm-hmm. and so so it's just like it's just these multiple traumas and then your body and just going to like the neurobiological effects of what trauma does to the mm-hmm. to your mind your brain and just knowing how like when um your body is just like 
when you when you get that fear sensation in your body, and that's when the cortisol is secretes, mm-hmm. and then that's when your glucose levels, and that's like sugar, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it gives you energy to to fight or flight, mm-hmm. and imagine if that was to happen over and over and over again. If a kid goes home and they're always like getting beat, you know, and then it's like if mom is yelling and they're like, oh my god, like I'm about to get, you know. That process over and over, mm-hmm. it can be considered like a false alarm. Mm-hmm. And when your body is going through those, your your brain is going through that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, it, it gives you, like, it results in you being um, more susceptible to illnesses. And mm-hmm. um, and, and so that, that taps into a lot of other um, health, uh, health complications that are not even mental, mm-hmm. mental disorders, you know? So it's just, now we're talking about physical. But... Um, but yeah, going back to trauma, and then you see how trauma can be very compact or complex. It's a lot to it. Yeah, and so, um, so yeah, so that's that's pretty much. I know I could keep going on and on about trauma. But once again, I went to start talking about the brain. One of the biggest symptoms too that I notice is avoidance, and so yes. so typically, um, <laughs> a Sanders sister trio right there. Like goofy to serious, like I feel that. So avoidance. Um, so for instance, like just trying to avoid and not deal with. Um, that traumatic experience or even anything that will remind you of that experience. And that actually, avoidance, it actually is when you like suppress. Pretty much you're suppressing mm-hmm. what's going on and, and it just, it's like you're never dealing with that, mm-hmm. with that trauma. And you're forever going to, that trauma is forever going to like be a fear of yours or something mm-hmm. until you actually, and exposure is actually the, the number one um like therapy or right now, <laughs> but exposure therapy, which is when you're exposed um, to the traumatic event. Um, that's like the, the best way to treat trauma right now. Mm. Yeah. And like a safe environment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, let me clear this up. Not the trauma. Like and domestic abuse. Yeah. Right. So like community violence. And, and for, but- like right. yeah, yeah. Like narrative, and it really depends on the trauma because yeah, in vivo exposure, um, with um, and you could do with response prevention, but in vivo is when you have like the um, the person is actually going into it, just you're, you're imagining it, mm-hmm. you're not so say, for instance, it's like an episodic memory, like you have an episode or a flashback or going forward. Kind of. So it's it's kind of like uh, so it's it's kind of like say for instance I was to get I would I was raped and rather than me getting raped again getting exposed to that again I'm getting like I'm the psychologist or therapist is actually telling me like okay um, think of the smell of the condom or just just things like that that's kind of like taking me back to that situation without taking me back to that situation. But in a safe but space. But in a safe space. With like coping skills that you've already practiced to kind yes. of help regulate. So the yeah. idea is like you typically try to avoid whatever that bad thing is that happened to you. Yeah. You don't really deal with it. But what happens is that like you can suppress it. You can like try to avoid it, but it comes out in all these different ways. Yeah. And that's why you might have dream nightmares and things like that. Or it might come into your mind when you're trying to do this math test and it might get in the way of things. So the idea yeah. is like 
you taking control of it. If you think about it as kind of like if you watch a scary movie, the mm-hmm. first time you watch that scary scene, you're probably going to jump and it's going to be really, really scary. Mm-hmm. But if you watch that th- that scary movie three times, ten times, yes. thirty times, a hundred times. The more exposed times, you are to that You're movie. not going to jump the way that you was jumped the first right. time. Right. And, and, and I... And to kind of go back to the the uh, condo thing, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was so odd. So that it. is if yeah. somebody who has been raped. But say for instance, when they see condoms, yeah. that actually like it. That is that is to what trigger. triggers them. Yes. So it's like you're trying to like so using that as a, as a way to expose them, mm-hmm. and um, because it is a trigger to that actual event, if that makes sense. Right. Yes. And yes. another Thank purpose you. and an art of that kind of exposure, like narrative-based therapy, is to empower the person and to go back to the situation to gain a sense of control, but also yeah. like creating meaning. A lot of times when we experience trauma, particularly if we're young and developing, um, we have a lot of thoughts that can veer towards self-blame or mm-hmm. I, I'm so bad because I didn't stop this or I wish yeah. I would have done this in this phase. And like that's why the therapist or psychologist is there to kind of coach you through and kind of reframe some of those thoughts yeah. of like, this is not your fault. You actually, if you were a kid, you actually couldn't have done anything mm-hmm. differently. You did what you were told, yeah. you know, and at this point, like moving forward, mm-hmm. you know, here's how you can make changes. So that's where the intervention kind of piece comes into that. Yeah, definitely. Just to like also add to that, there's a. I'm sorry, I can start. <laughs> this, this is your. Passion. This is her pat. Like, this is your that. passion. Yeah. <laughs> come on, come on, doc. We we gonna put this on the on the uh, video because I think I got something. Oh, she was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go nowhere, but I'm gonna have it on my phone." <laughs> no, but, but um, to what to what Kita said, um, that is also like so. There's a such a term called cognitive dissonance. In Festinger, he in 1957 he coined that that um, term, and pretty much what cognitive dissonance is is when you have like conflicting thoughts and so it's like say for instance someone was to get raped and it's like okay it's not my fault but then it's like you can't really you're still trying to tackle with but why did it happen to me Mm. so it's like those things don't align and so in our minds we don't like to have conflicting thoughts we want to make sense of what's going on (laughs) so what we do is it's easier for us to blame it on ourselves because we don't understand why that happened to me? And so that's when there's that self-blame, which is um, one of the symptoms. And so going back to what um, Kita was saying is that you want to restructure that mm-hmm. and to um, go back into that and teach them like how, or not really teach them, <clears throat> well, yeah, showing them how like it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, to go off of piggy to piggy and then we'll bounce back to the last mm-hmm. question and I'll get them out of here. Um, the main reason why I wanted... Uh, Dr. Ellis, or excuse me, Tara on here, (laughs) is um, I uh, was diagnosed with PTSD in 2017. And I I told everybody I was going to share this story. Um, You know, this was obviously a a private session that I needed with, you know, a doctor. And she's like, if you ever need something, and it happened again. Um, So actually, March 31st of 2019, if anybody knows what day that was, that was the day Nipsey Hussle got shot. Um, That morning at work, uh, one of my coworkers uh, had a seizure and drowned. Um, and it was me and three others on scene, and I had to give CPR. Um, and to go back to 2013, 
I was at a cookout in Mobile, Alabama, uh, six hours after graduating a school on learning how to save somebody's life. Mm -hmm. I had somebody die right in front of me and I was the only person that knew CPR. Um, so going from the first time it happened to me, they died. And, you know, for four to five years, um, I was unable to understand why I wasn't able to do something. Mm -hmm. What was it my fault? What did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. um, and so that became this, this ongoing, you know, self-blame and other mm -hmm. words. So I can't think of all of them right now, but you know, like that I've held on to where it was like, I need your help. And I'm like, I don't think I can help, you know, even though it's like you, you can do this. You just have to tell yourself that. And then it happened again. Um, this time we were able to save her. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, uh, collateral beauty. I'll use that word to, to see it come full circle to facing that fear without putting myself in that, but being put in that situation. And that goes back to God's lining, you know, like I got out of the military where it happened. I was in the military when it happened. I got out of the military, went to go back into something that I've been doing my entire life to be aligned right back into something that happened to me to be able to save somebody. Um, so I honestly, um, you know, like I said, I was diagnosed with PTSD, so trauma makes sense to me. I had depression because of it, because I was like, I don't think I, you know, was worthy of helping somebody. I've had anxiety when I see, I have, I don't know if it's a real thing, but I call it the superheroism. Mm -hmm. You know where you see an old person trip and you want to run to go help them, or you hear a kid scream and you turn, or you know, you, you hear a clap or something like that, or like a car accident. Like I'm, I'm the person on the on the freeway. I'll stop my car, get out, and run back. You know, I, I keep things in my car. You know, I always want to be there too, to be there. You know, to help. Um, and so you know, like these, all these things that you guys were talking about, I absolutely am able to. Um, I guess you could say aligned with, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. but I, I wasn't diagnosed with depression or anxiety, but obviously, like you said, those things go hand in hand mm -hmm. and the trauma is something that has a symptom that goes into all of those. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like I wanted people to understand not only, um, you know, other people might not know it, but also um, this is what, you know, we deal with on, a, on an everyday basis. Yeah. Um, so yeah, enough about me. Uh, damn, we're at an hour and five minutes. Uh, I love y'all. <laughs> I'm gonna get y'all out of here. I promise. Now I gave them each two questions each, but because of time constraints, if they want to just pick one of the two, um, I don't want to keep them too long because they definitely got clients and all that stuff. But um, these are the questions that we were talking about from earlier. Um, that on Instagram people text me and all that stuff. So I really just wanted you guys to get your answers answered. And anything that doesn't get answered, I will hold on to them indirectly, and then hopefully or possibly I might be able to get those answered for you and send them back. Um, so I just want to get these done and then we're done. I promise. <laughs> so whoever wants to go first. I think, well, first of all, and I think this will go into what I have to say. I want to acknowledge like the bravery and the courage it takes to kind of share mm -hmm. your story out loud. For and sure. I appreciate you for um, talking about your experience. And for me, that's kind of one of the ways to address stigma about mental yeah. health. Um, so my question was someone talking about how do we address stigma? Mm. Um, and I, and I think like, say it loud really like we have to talk about mental health and i think one of the things is when we call it mental illness i think the words we use yeah. um 
can really impact how people receive something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think mental health is the same as physical health. Like putting mm-hmm. those um, parity between those things mm-hmm. is super important because it's just, um, it's who we are. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's really just a basic part of our everyday experience as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so recognizing that we have to take care of ourselves physically and mentally the same way um, so you might go to a doctor if you have a cold, if you don't feel good, you're going to go to a psychologist or a therapist, or you're just going to attend to your mental health in that same kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just us talking about it more openly mm-hmm. and you. sharing our stories. Mm-hmm. And I think I, if I could just yes. add on to that, Absolutely. um, not only talking about it, but like using your gifts, your skills oh. and your passions, like incorporating like important topics, i.e. mental health into your art. Right. Mm-hmm. It's something I've just kind of been keen on a lot recently. I just when I watch TV, I'm like, oh, they're like identifying um, like a mental health issue here. And particularly with, with black people, I'm thinking of two very prominent black men on TV shows, one being a million little things and one being mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. where it's like <laughs> two, <laughs> two I love black men I who are like, really like, like, of like exceptional character and stable mm-hmm. mar- like lively relationships and mm-hmm. successful and skilled in their own right but both with like fairly debilitating like mental illnesses like one with like anxiety and I think one with depression mm-hmm. um and so I think seeing it and um and seeing it normalized, but also like from the creator's perspective, the creator's perspective, like incorporating it into mm-hmm. what you do, incorporating it into your art, into your, your creation is um, another way to get that picture. And yeah. like how people manage it. Like this yeah. is not like yeah. a death sentence or anything yeah. like that. All of yeah. this is manageable. You can get treatment for it and you can feel better. Yeah. And, and some of them like aren't like forever, you know, like yeah. I know even like, um, uh, borderline personality disorder is not like as you get older and as if you've been maintaining and I know that's one specifically that you can actually like not meet the criteria after you've gone for so long mm-hmm. dbt is one of the like um Marsha Linehan she's the creator of dbt is a dialectical behavioral therapy but that therapy um and I've seen it and I um I've actually facilitated that but I've seen um facilitated a group for that but I've seen where some people have actually like it, it has helped so much to where you know you go back to the criteria and it's like okay you're only meeting half of the symptoms that will require you to meet make it or meet the diagnosis so mm-hmm. like it's not I say all that to say is it's not forever and um is the sooner you do get help the sooner you're able to get you know better and so yeah, and then also you gotta. I love how Kanye said, "Make it your superpower." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I think. Oh, Kanye! <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the more that we have like little sayings and little, and and especially somebody as as like Kanye. I mean, oh, that's Kanye. a whole other conversation. <laughs> but like, I I feel like like I mean, he has still a lot of clout. But like, I feel like um, the more that we have like that type of like approach or, or perception or just look to it like it's like okay it's more accepting rather than it being stigma mm-hmm. and so it's like oh that's my superpower like, mm-hmm. like I'm, on a, I'm an avenger <laughs> anyway <laughs> <your> <laughs> mine was how do you handle a family member that suffers from a mental mm-hmm. um illness and so 
I would say definitely being patient and, um, you know, do validating their experience, even though it may be, you know, they may have schizophrenia and they may have delusions or hallucinations and they're like, oh, I feel like I'm the special, you know, person to do this or that. Or it's like, although, you know, it may not be true. I mean, it may not be real, but to them, it's so real. And when you invalidate their experience, you're actually, um, you're not helping them at all. It's, it's affecting them even more. And so um, that, uh, I think I may, I think I said, listen to them. Even if you don't agree, just listen. If you just listen, sometimes they just want to be heard. Um, and then challenging their cognitive distortions to help restructure them to a more healthy way of thinking. And so, you know, just some of the things that they're saying even, and I guess that goes with a lot of depression. I mean, I could go with really any any of them. What's but a cognitive distortion? A cognitive distortion. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So a, <laughs> so a cognitive distortion is like, I guess I should go to automatic thoughts too. No. Okay. No. <laughs> He's like, it's time to go. So let's wrap it up. Aaron Beck. No, but a cognitive distortion is just like, Anything, okay, I'll try to make it so simple, but something that you think about or that you believe that is, like, say, for instance, a cognitive distortion is, like, I, I believe that I'm, like, I'm stupid and I'm never going to amount to anything, or it's, like, a distorted belief, and um, when you... You use that word in my therapy session. Yes, my cognitive disorder was I will never be able to help somebody. Yes. That was mine. I remember that. Yep. I just remember that. Sorry. <laughs> Look, confidential. I wasn't going to say it's a thought that's untrue and unhealthy oh, right. exactly you'll never know what you'll never be able to do exactly. you know what I mean exactly yeah. and so you you want to restructure those thoughts to where it's like kind of like it's just okay no worries <laughs> you put it out there <laughs> so it's kind of like just um, as I was challenging your thoughts and then I was trying to help restructure them like you know just asking you certain questions and stuff and so it's just like it makes you think um, a little bit more about like it, it's like challenging how you initially would think about yourself mm-hmm. automatically mm-hmm. you know and so I guess it's, yeah but um, yeah so and then getting them to a way that they're like having more positive thoughts about themselves or the future appreciate that and, yeah um, so my question was, what's a way you can avoid depression and help heal your heart when it's broken, broken? And see you all in there. I know. Oh, so thank you, broken, Dr. Broken. Reynolds, Akila, for saying that. So I have a, a couple initial reactions to this question. One, I mean, the emphasis on broken, broken that's and healing your heart. Yeah. So like, that's what I was talking about, about like some state some experiences some moods are just normal like we have to understand like it's a part of the full comprehensive well-rounded human experience to have your heart broken mm-hmm. um whether that's somebody else is breaking it for you maybe you break your own heart you disappoint yourself um or you know a loss or something that you're grieving and so i think um just that understanding just understanding that. But also the first part, and you may have not meant it this way, it could have just been a word, but we definitely shouldn't be trying to avoid um, mm-hmm. uh, 
fill in the blank, any like type of feeling or emotion, depression, or even like if we get into the idea of, of a mental disorder or what have you, um, we can talk about prevention of like the development of those things. But if you just meant like depression as a, as a mood state, that whole idea, and I think Tierra talked about the idea of suppression and avoidance, mm-hmm. that whole idea of trying to avoid something is not only unhelpful and unhealthy, but it's actually going to exacerbate whatever it is mm-hmm. you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. I like to, when I work with um, young adults and teenagers, I like to use the, the imagery of like, think about yourself in a pool and you have some sort of like floaty device. I like to think of like a basketball. It's like really like slippery and round and you just can't get your bearings. But think about trying to like suppress it under the water and you have to like, you cannot, like it's fighting against mm-hmm. you to, to come up and you have to use all of your focus. You like lose like sight of it for one second and it's popping up and it's splashing water everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to like, if you were to just like release pressure on it kind of gradually and just let it like float to the top and it wouldn't create this like water volcano Mm -hmm. but um but that's essentially what we're doing when we're trying to suppress or avoid things so i think just the idea of just um normalizing that we go through times where our our hearts are broken and we're down um and not avoiding it but if we're talking about like a real like true depression like what can you do to kind of help heal like try to address like all the areas that depression attacks right Mm -hmm. so i talked earlier about how um, depression a lot of times is focused on things that have happened in the past and anxiety is kind of things in the future mm-hmm. so one way to get around that is just to be more in the present right like mm-hmm. being more something we call mindful mm-hmm. um, mindfulness being in the present moment doing things that you enjoy or just like sitting breathing um, another thing we talk about is like behavioral activation so depression will make you lethargic make you feel like you don't have energy like don't want to do anything you're not motivated to do anything. Um, get yourself out doing things. Be social when your your depression is telling you to be isolated. Mm. Um, when your depression is giving you thoughts about, you know, whatever this heartbreaking situation was, how it's going to keep happening, or you're not going to be able to recover. You got to fight. Like your mind is uh, a battlefield, and it's also mm. a muscle. The more you use it, the more it'll be effective in winning the war. Um, so. Yeah, and that actually related to my second question about failure, but I'll just say really quick um, about failure. Do not be afraid of failure. Please try to find the value in failure. There's a lot of research about having a growth mindset and that we learn more from failing than we do with our successes. Um, And so, like, Carol Dweck is a really good researcher to look up. Um, but, but yeah, that's another thing. Our brains mm-hmm. just tell us that we're failures, that we're stupid, that we're not going to make it. And, um, don't be afraid to fail. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Fail harder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was that Wyden and Kennedy. Um, so nonetheless, I truly, truly, truly want to say thank you so much for all of you guys sitting down with us today. Um, I usually ended out on like a very fast ending note. I don't want to keep you guys too, too late. Uh, you laugh and you giggles? No, because I want to say something else because uh, you sparked something. Go ba- I'm so sorry. Say it. But going back to trauma. Say it loud. <laughs> oh, oh, I am about to coin that for you. <laughs> what? Going back to trauma. I love The thing is, I think, uh, and I meant to say this earlier, but um, just because of the intrusive thoughts and just mm-hmm. like the flashbacks and um, mindfulness thinking, mm-hmm. mindfulness yeah. will, is a very mm-hmm. good coping skill. And you don't really need anything. Just yeah. being in the present, in the here and now, and just like, you know, try to smell. What what are the smells yeah. that, are, that I'm smelling? What are the shapes that I see? Or what, you know, just 
being in the present, mm. that is also a good coping skill for um, trauma. I'm so sorry. No worries. No worries. You can need us out then for this, okay? So this last part, um, I really, uh, how do we contact, how do we stay in contact with you or even just local numbers to call or anything like that? Your little tidbit, your last 30 seconds. So usually I tell people to write a letter, but because there's three of you and I want to get you guys out of here, I'm not going to have you guys write a letter, but I want to oh, say this, God. you have a commercial a 30-second commercial that somebody's going to watch um, talking about mental health awareness. Um, and, you know, this 30 seconds might be something that changes somebody's life. could be just somebody saves somebody's life. What would that 30 seconds say um, to whoever it may concern? And then, you know, kind of just end out with how do we keep in contact with you or how do we reach out to your private um, practices, um, to other possibilities for, you know, I don't know, social network, if that's the easiest way to reach you or just, yeah. you know, any way that people can either reach out to you or reach out to a directory of yeah. black therapists in their area and stuff like that. So you can go first. Remember, it's 30 seconds. 30 <laughs> second infomercial. I feel like I'm on the spot. You want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I can't because I, I, I don't have and enough. I, and I just that. gave it to him too. <laughs> I was like, take it. <laughs> okay you said a, a 30 second commercial 30, 30 second commercial infomercial you know somebody's gonna hear this and it could save somebody to whom it may concern oh man um okay I don't know if I can put that in 30 seconds y'all know I'm talking too much <laughs> okay mm. under a minute I'm a thinker I think too much I think I'm too di- oh my god Marquita. I can go this is uh keto y'all um so i you can reach me so i work at uh, a private a group practice called cala psychological services in pasadena so that's one of my jobs but like i mentioned before i'm opening up a private practice um called hold and well psychological services um that's going to be geared more towards young adult uh, minorities like young working professionals people who may or may not have experienced therapy before in the past but as akila mentioned um couldn't really come across a uh, culturally sensitive and competent um, therapist that could address their needs within the context of their life um, and comprehensively within their life. So um, website for that to come soon, but also you can check me out on Psychology Today as well. Dr. Murphy. Under what? Um, How do you spell your name? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T-A, last name S-T-O-K-E-S. Awesome. And what about your 30 second infomercial? Um, oh man, I, I would just say, uh, mental health is not unlike anything else. We've touched on it here. Like just as much as you address your physical health or even things that are like not even a part of you, like, like you take your car to the shop and you don't always take it to the shop after you got into like a crazy accident. Like you just go for maintenance sometimes. Right. And so I would submit to you that your inner world, your mental, emotional health is the foundation of who you are. That's actually the reason for the the title of my practice, that to the degree that you are whole in all domains of your life is to the degree that you're going to feel well Mm -hmm. um, and feel successful in those domains. And so so I think just um, fight the stigma that's around it. Fight the lies that tell you that it makes you less than or weaker. Um, You're actually, I tell my patients all the time, my clients, that they're strong for seeking out um, help in their mental health, particularly at such at a young age. And so, yeah, fight the stigma and fight for yourself. 
Awesome. Yeah. I'm Tierra, uh, Dr. Tierra Ellis. And so I work at a hospital. Um, and you can contact me. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> my email. <laughs> However, LinkedIn. Yeah. I, will, I will tag those who have an Instagram. Yeah. I, my Instagram. <laughs> My Instagram is Tierra Therese, and my how you spell my name is is T is in Tom, I E is an elephant, R R A, and Therese T is in Tom, H E is an elephant, R E is an elephant, <laughs> S E is an elephant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I spelled that right. I hope I did. But my email is t t e l l i s zero three at gmail dot com. So, anyways, um, yeah, I'm. Like I said, I very passionate about the school to prison pipeline. Um, that is, as I start thinking about my pra- practice that I'll have in the future, um, it's going to definitely be related to continuing that. And so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to say, but um, what I would totally like, um, what I want to say in my little thirty seconds is that. Um, the more we talk about it, the more that it becomes normalized and the more that, um, we want to help each other too and, and validate each other's experiences. And, um, even just working with the youth I work with now, and even just like today, I see how powerful that is when they, they're like, oh, somebody is like me, um, that looks like me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think that, that there's power in that. And then also, not being afraid to get help because um, the more that the the sooner you do get help, the sooner you're able to function at your best and not to fight in silence or and or just be, you know, just to scream in silence. And so I'm sorry, I'm done. No, you're fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and so um, so yeah, so that's just like my little my little spiel. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I think for my thirty seconds, I think the question that I would like people to ask themselves is what mm-hmm. kind of life do you want to live? Mm-hmm. Um, and however you answer that question, if you feel like um, your mental health is impacting your ability to live that life, um, what can you do right. to improve the quality of your life? And what can you do to help yourself um, to, to live that kind of life that you want to live? Uh, you can reach me via my LinkedIn <laughs> at Akila. Oh, not at. I'm sorry. Um, just by searching my name, Akila Reynolds. That's A K I L A H. Um, and I think many people know how to spell Reynolds. Um, but in case you don't, R E Y. And I think that's it. Yeah. If awesome. you're looking for resources, I think that's what you asked. Yeah, just any directory oh, name, numbers, yeah. and all stuff. Um, I think if you're looking for like a therapist, a good place to go to is Psychology Today. And yeah. wherever you're at, you can um, look for a therapist there. Yeah. And um, there are some apps. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there are some apps. Like if you're looking for a specific, like I want a black therapist in this area. And that's terrible. I just mentioned that because I can't think of the app name. But there There's are apps that exist. Therapy for Black Girls. There it is. Um, yeah, that's a good resource if you're that's looking one for of a therapist um, who's also Black. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Well, once again, ladies, thank you so much for not only taking your time to pencil me in, um, <laughs> but for last minute, last second, you know, just inclusion. And like you said, and like how we'll end this is 
um, to continue to upkeep just like you would your physical, continue to upkeep, you know, everything and, and keep the conversation going. So hopefully this isn't the last time we talk. Um, I don't know how much the retaining fees are, so you know what I'm saying? But, uh, we'll get with them sooner or later. But uh, until the next time, thank you so much for tuning in to Say Loud Podcast. Once again, it is your host, Boogie the Beast. Until next time, I always say stay black and stay woke, but I want to also say keep your mind healthy. Till next time.